2 Timothy chapter 2. Jacob wanted me to remind you guys, too, that we do have community groups um, on Wednesdays if you'd like to have a community to be a part of. If your community is too large and you want a smaller one, you're welcome to join us. Um, Nate, Zach, Aaron, myself, one at our house, starts at 6. My dad has one at his house, starts at 6.30, 7 o'clock. You can show up early if you want. (laughs) And then... (laughs) Uh, And then Pat and Erica are leading one in Port Orchard at Alex uh, Kiefer's house. So you can ask for directions if you'd like. Okay, if you guys would stand with me as we read, please. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tired up in the, tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And the athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained so I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. This is all we'll be focusing on today. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to pray first before we begin. God, I thank you um, for giving us your word that's sure, and like Paul told Timothy, very reliable. God, I pray that, that us who are gathered here, God, will get a clear vision of you today that will just incite us to worship. I pray also, Father, that, um, that you will protect and guard those that aren't here. We have so many that are, uh, the girls are out camping and others who are picking people from the airport. And um, as our bodies are really scattered around today, God, we just pray your blessing on them. Um, God, we need you so much to even understand you. Um, so we pray that the Holy Spirit will invest in us and just teach us this morning more about who you are um, so we can know you intimately. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So, um, this is our fourth week talking about the importance of knowing God. Uh, we're going through the attributes of God right now. And 
Um, every week I'd like to just stress again and again and again why, that, that was the triplet we were talking about, again and again and again, why it's so important to know who God is, which seems really basic. We, if you've been to church before, you've heard him mentioned. If you've heard people who know him pray, they're mentioning his name, right? And so we have heard the name God so much, whether, whether it's in praise or in doubt or whether it's somebody cursing, right? We're just so familiar with the name of God. But what is behind that name, right? Who is God? And that's a, it's a vital, vital important question for us to know. Um, really, as treating it as the most important knowledge attainable, we're swimming against the current of culture. We don't treat God like he is the most important thing to be known. Um, I was on the internet this morning really quick. I have to email my sermon to myself and then print it out. I don't have a printer at home. And so I got on really quick, and Iran just announced that they have this new droid bomber. Right, So no one has to be in the plane they can just fly it over and, and drop bombs. And it was this large party they were having to unveil it. That they, they had this. And so, but it reminded me, I saw it, and I, when I first saw it and didn't read the headline, I thought it was, you know when uh, the whole eye company, Mac, comes out with a new product, they unveil it. If you have an iPad or the iPhone, it looked like the same thing. It was a platform and one guy on, you know, showing off what he's got. And really, it was, it's not comical by any means that they have a droid bomber. But if you think about it, it's amazing what we value. What our country values really is big news, iPad. In Iran, big news, droid bomber. So what, what is the big news in our lives? What do we get excited about and what do we party about, really? Um, we don't often get together and just say, like, let's party about Jesus. So we don't really treat it. Well, every Sunday should be, I guess, a party about Jesus. I hope it is for you guys to come and you're excited. Um, so what, what is so important about him? And is it optional knowledge? Or is it not optional knowledge? Um, as I was thinking about this, I, I go to schools to mentor. And if you ask kids in high school, even up to 12th grade, None of them, not none of them, most of them do not know why they are in school. Right? And so these are even things that we don't consider as being optional. Right? Why, why are we going to school? Why do we work? <laughs> it's amazing how much we go through life and we've developed this, this attitude of, of uh, taking things for granted, truthfully. Because if you, if you ask a kid, usually what you'll hear is, well, my parents told me that I, I got to go, right? It's getting them off my back to go to school, right? Or, I, well, I have to get a job eventually. So it's this, this, this relentless cycle of, well, do anything, does anything have meaning in itself? And I think that's part of what we've lost. And especially in our appreciation of God, we've lost God having meaning in himself, most of what we attribute meaning to God is his ability to do something for us. And so I think that's often why our emotion for him is always contingent upon what? Well, upon, well is, is he promising me something? Is he doing something for me? 
And so that's why it's always so optional. Everything in our lives is optional. School for people has become optional. Right? Working for a lot of people has become optional. Why? Well, because, because that's just our attitude. What's optional? What's not? And we are going to preach every Sunday that God is not, it's not optional, both belief in God and both what you believe about God. <laughs> you don't get to choose what you believe about God. Because you can believe wrong things, and then it would just be, it'd be lies. So, where do we gain our footing here? Um, today we're going to be talking about the faithfulness of God. And this is uh, important because uh, it's just another one of those words that we take for granted. When we say God is faithful, the Psalms, the songs of God are full of it declaring Him being faithful. And what does that mean? And so the question we're going to look at is faithful uh, faithful to do what? What is God faithful to do? Because when we hear God is faithful, usually what we read into that is, well, God is faithful to keep me safe. Or God is faithful to make me feel good. God is faithful to... And then we, we assume, because we're usually the most important people in our own lives, that, that whatever God does, God is doing it for us. And so, if something happens, like a great tragedy in our lives, why this jars so much, our belief in God is because when we hear God is faithful, and all of a sudden, our, what our view of God's faithfulness is, is what He's faithful to do, is just make me comfortable. And so, I, I want to, just at, at the outset, that's, that isn't the faithfulness of God. Um, which is, is hard, because we also have this, we talked about last week, the power of God. Right? The power of God is expressed in his ability to, what? to do anything. God has no physical constraints and no physical limitations because he created everything physical. Um, right? And the second point of that, but then God makes himself vulnerable to us through his love for us, because love is something that is vulnerable right? to us, that he saves us. So, how does that all interact with the faithfulness of God? So what is God faithful to do? That when I wake up and I'm praising God, God, your mercies are new every morning. God, your faithfulness is fresh every day. When I say that in the morning, what am I saying? And so I'm not assuming that if I wake up and I go to work and I forget to tie my shoes and I, boom, you know, fall on my shoelaces, I'm just like, ah, oh, God, I thought you were faithful. It's like, well, you should have tied your shoes. But that's how we treat it. That's a very small scale. But usually on the larger scale, something big happens and we're like, oh, I thought you were faithful. So what does it mean to be, uh, for God to be a faithful God? Uh, an, an old theologian said this, God being who he is cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable, uh, mutable just means not changing. So all his words and acts must and be uh, faithful. Men become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of these forces can affect God in any way. And so, 
what we read into God because we experience them like a shift in desire, right? So we can be so passionate about something. We can be really passionate about God one day because we, we're just really enjoying, maybe we read something in the Word and it, and it, it struck us as the most eternal truth possible, right? We get really excited. And then, the next moment, our desire is for perhaps something we shouldn't be desiring. Or we read a sofa article about a couch, and we're like, that would complete my life. Just like the article said, right? And so our desire shifts all of a sudden. And so our desire is for... God doesn't do that, okay? It's not like, like God is... You know how it says the Spirit... Uh, spirit was roaming across the waters at the beginning. It's not like he, he roams about and he sees a, an article for McDonald's. Right? We, talk, we joked around this before. Happiness for one dollar. And he's like, ooh, really? Right? Like, like, we often promise each other, God's desire doesn't shift like that. His desire is always in one place. His pleasure always comes from one thing. And so he, he doesn't shift. He, the Bible, the way it says it, he has, there's no shadow to him. And so... He is constantly without, uh, since from him illumines all truth, there's no truth that will shadow him, right? Where us, we might be, truth might hit us from this side, like the truth that, um, God, let's just say that righteousness is by faith through Jesus Christ alone. Boom, truth hits us. And there's all this thing we've built up, all this crap that stands against that. And so there's this huge shadow behind us. Right? Instead of just what the Bible says, living in the light. Right? So God is light, and in him there's no darkness. Everything about him is true. And so when you go to him and you see him, you're seeing what is and what is real. And so he doesn't change in his desire. Obviously, none of these forces, these human forces, can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does he cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and acts from within himself by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. This is amazing. Even in the act, and, and this is what's cool, when, we include, when he includes us in this, his power that, that has no limitation in the incarnation of Jesus, he includes us in that power. Right? And so in the faithfulness of God, when it says, it was, Isaiah 53, it pleased the Father to crush the Son so that in Him we could have forgiveness from our sins. Right? So in His pleasure, He's including us in that. And so if you get one thing from this whole talk, this whole day, talking about the faithfulness of God, this is what you should get. That God, in His faithfulness, is including us in His plan it's not that we include God in our plans and then expect Him to be faithful in our plans. Does that make sense? <laughs> because this is how we switch it and how we get it wrong over and over again is we make plans and then we're like, okay God, I've made this great plan. I'm going to include you in it and then you have to be faithful to what I've ordered. Because the faithfulness of God is that God created and he has a plan. And we join him in that. And then from that we understand God is faithful day after day after day to carry out his plan. Right? How should we pray, Jesus? Pray, 
Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So our prayer should incorporate that, not constantly be saying, well, this is the way I've, I've planned what I'm going to do. Can you be included on this? Our prayer at the beginning of every day should be, God, you are holy. God, you don't change. I, I'm certain that my emotions are going to change a lot today. I'm positive of that, actually. Father, but you are holy. You don't change. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life today, I pray. God, lead me not into temptation, because I, I can lead myself fine into temptation. Right? But deliver me from evil, because I want you to have glory, and you to have power, and you to have praise forever and ever. Because that is what God's about. God is about His glory. And our pleasure comes from being about His glory too. And that's where the power of a life who comes under Christ receives joy is really when God calling glory to Himself becomes also the passion of our hearts. Um, and we've, we've mentioned this before, but it is very true, and we need to remember this, that that when that strikes us as being hard, right? God being about His glory and calling everything to Himself to just see Him and savor Him and love Him, why that is good at all times is because if God were to, to say, okay, Daniel, well, I'm going to be about your plan today, Daniel, and not about mine, that would be idolatry for God, right? For God not to just exalt Him in all He does, which is all He does is good, and all that I do, especially in my own efforts, is really tainted. Um, but where our power is made perfect is in weakness. His power and our weakness. So, God is consistently Himself, and there's never inconsistency about that. There's no changing in Him. And that, that in essence, is the faithfulness of God. Um, so, when we read Second uh, Timothy which says, this is a trustworthy saying, if we die with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. And this is, this is the interesting part, that for a long time I interpreted this wrongly. It says, if we are unfaithful, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny who He is. Right? And so, for a long time, what I thought that was saying was, if I'm unfaithful, He will just be negligent. And so, what, and I know that's a weird way to say it. So, what I assumed all the time was, I could use God as this, this uh, divine cosmic counselor that I just like unloaded my garbage on and he would just would like say encouraging things to me. Right? We go to our sofa and we, that we bought because the article said we should. And then we sit in it and we're like, oh, this is all the crap. And then we just expect God to be just like so affirming. Like, you, you're good. You're, you're better than you think you are. Right? And we, and we, <laughs> that's what we expect. That's what we expect this verse to be saying. When we're unfaithful, God is faithful to just, to just tell us we're better than we think we are. Right? But what this is really saying is he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. So, when God made his first covenant, he made it to, the, to Abraham and it was carried on through Israel. In Deuteronomy 7, this is, this is how it, uh, in a paragraph, this is how it summarizes it. 
The Lord, uh, Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 11, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is faithful Uh, He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for thousands of generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commandment, period. And and usually we'd like to end there. But then 10 and 11 says this, but he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey all these commands and decrees and regulations I will give you today. So to end at verse 9 would be, would be missing this an understanding of who God really is, this holy, holy, holy God who He is. And if God were to fulfill our definition of love, and we hear God is love and we just hammer that home, and that's true, absolutely true. God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. But, we, and we, but then when we separate that from the character of God that all works together. So in God's love, he's not working apart from him being justice also. And so when God says here that, that he's keeping his, com- command, his covenant uh, for a thousand generations, lavishing his unfeeling love on those who love and obey his commands, it's all working together. He, he, he's loving, he's loving. And he's saying, but obey my commands. If you don't obey my commands... There's going to be harm to you. So God is faithful and he is faithful to himself. Um, to help us get an understanding of this and all the questions that, sh- that shoot to our minds when this happens, Romans 3. Romans is helpful because Paul is asking questions that we want to ask and then answering them. We're just going to pick up in, in three. It says, um, actually, we'll begin in one to give context. True, what adva- uh, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the cer- ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews are entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Um, true, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. And the scripture says about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. Um, so what, what this is saying is that their unfaithfulness did not mean that God would be unfaithful. He would be unfaithful then to not fulfill his word in saying, if you disobey, there will be punishment. So for God to be unfaithful would mean for him not to follow through with his word. So this is why it's so important to listen to the words of Scripture. And so we don't, we don't cut out paragraphs. We don't cut out parts of paragraphs and just be like, well, when I hear that God is love, and, and then I just take so much for granted by saying, well, how do I gain access to that loving God who is faithful to His word to punish those who live their lives in rebellion against Him? 
right? So we, we oversimplify things, and, and really, for ourselves, we don't, like, worship as much as we can, because when we, we, th- we think God's love, and then we, we just assume that then, because of that, we're, we have access and everything, we forget that there is a punishment for rebellion, right? So when we live our lives in rebellion, right, so if, uh, if Curtis came up to me after service and, like, punched me really hard, and, and I was like, oh, gosh, that really hurt, and, and just, like, kept pummeling me, and I didn't do anything, and, and then later he came up, and I was just like, oh, dude, no, no problem, that's just whatever, right? There'd, it'd be weird, but the rest of our lives would be really weird, right? I don't, I don't know where that came from, I don't know what's happening, because Curtis just attacked me, right? So, this is the ignorance of which we live in if we simply take for granted the love of God is that we're like, God, I'm going to live in absolute rebellion to you. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care what your word says. And then, oh, because you're love, then, okay, then I'm acceptable. Right? And that's, that's not how life works. And that's not how the gospel works. The gospel works that God takes our rebellion against him really seriously, really Really, really seriously. And you want him to because relationships don't work by just forgetting things. So God being faithful to himself says, yes, I will follow through with this. That when you live in rebellion against me, there's going to be a separation in that relationship. And that, that is also the faithfulness of God. Because the word is true. And he holds to it. And then we go down, um, 5 says, But some might say, our sinfulness serves as a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Right? So we, we try to justify ourselves. Well, how can God say that, like, how can God be upset at me when, when I'm really bad? It shows everyone that, that what God says is really right. Right? Because it's making God right. right? That all have sinned and they're falling away. And I'm falling away, so it makes God look right. So, how can you be upset? I'm helping. That's the rationale here. Uh, isn't, isn't fair then for him to punish us? Um, of, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how could he be qualified to judge the whole world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him glory? And some would even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve condemnation. And so we, we really build up. Like, we're the people that dig a hole and we just keep digging it and we're like, oh, I'm just going to hold to this. But God has, a, in his faithfulness, he has a much better idea than that. But God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets of long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory. Uh, I was reading, that was my NIV coming out. We're actually in NLT. Here we are. For everyone has sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declared that we are righteous. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. And so then we get again, right, in the incarnation of Christ, the faithfulness of God. Right, to say, I will uphold my righteous standard, and I'll put your punishment on Jesus Christ. And 
and I know this is, the, this is the gospel, and this is what we've heard over and over again, but think about it this way, and this is what should, should just slap you with the gospel, right? Is this, that, <laughs> get this, that he's including us in his plan. That's his plan, right? <laughs> Reconciliation is in the heart of God before it is in your heart, right? So us being in right relationship with God is in his heart, and so, he sent Jesus to take your sins. So, so, when we're saved, we're being included in what he wants. Because we didn't even want it. We would have, we really, I, I believe firmly, we would have continued in living in rebellion against God and, and just against him. Um, against him in the way we lived. And, and we would constantly think that other things were better. And so again, God makes himself very vulnerable to us by loving us in such an incredible way. So what does this look like um, for... I'm going to really address uh, the Christian right now who, um, who sees God and is amazed by him. And because of that, when they reach... Points of their lives, again, this is really important, points of their lives when they are going through something very difficult and they're saying, God, how are you working all things together for the good of those that love you? And I call the coin your purpose because I love you. And, and I love you and I understand that, the, that salvation is not cheap. And, and it's such a value, but this is hard. What does this look like for that, that Christian? Right? Um... This is what it looks like. 2 Corinthians 4. It says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. This is 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in 8. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. This is 11... Uh, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the faith, it, we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. So what he's saying right now is that, okay, we see the faithfulness of God, and what that means in our life isn't an absence of things that are hard, but, but even the, the greater evidence of them and he continues, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. Right? I believe in God, so I'm speaking. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Uh, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. We are, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So this is it, guys. Where will your temporary life 
meet eternity. Right? That's really the question here. Because it is offered to you right now in trusting the faithfulness of God which will endure forever. Right? That's your faithfulness is evermore, is what the psalmist is continually saying. Your love lasts forever. Right? So, where we can begin to break through our, our temporary perspectives and enter this eternal perspective is when we say, God, to you be the glory forever and ever. And, and I'm going to fight for this in my life is to gain this perspective of your plan that is just transcending everything. And you, you can't do this by resorting to, to simple ideas of God, right? That, that God is only there to, to please me. Because um, the truth of Scripture is there's phenomenal pleasure in God when you, when you really be and appreciate Him for who He is, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Is the echo of the psalmist. And that's so, so true. But... <laughs> And it would be easy to come up on a Sunday morning and try to give it to you guys, like, really uh, cheaply, right? That, that, like, oh, you guys are just going to go out and, like, it's going to be fine. But, like, uh, to really equip you guys is to say, it's like a, a <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was preparing the sermon. It's like a, a child getting ready for Easter and they're, like, they're getting ready and they're, like, why do I have to dress up? And they're like, because it's Easter. Right? That's, that's not helping the child. <laughs> but that's what we do oftentimes with God. Well, why should I worship God? Well, because He's God. Right? No. Go and invest in finding out why God is worthy to be worshipped forever and ever. Because He is. Right? Explore who God is. And you guys will be so satisfied in that. Explore how God is faithful and you'll understand that he is faithful. Don't just hear something and constantly add your own definition to it because that will constantly lead us to bad worship and unsat- dissatisfaction and doubting God as we keep ex- explaining him. <laughs> like the, the kid who goes to high school, he's like, well, I don't really need any of this, but... Because that's so often how we are in relationship to God. So how is God faithful? We'll go this really quick. God is faithful to his plan and he's asking us to join him in that. That's what we call salvation, man. I mean, God is lifting us up out of the lives we create for ourselves and are constantly being like, well, God, these are, we have great parts to work with that I've made and if you could just, God's being like, I want to make everything new. I want to make everything new in your life. And that's good. Right? He wants to do work of recreation in your life. But he can't in your life if you keep just like trying to work with these little parts you've made for yourself and then just be like, well, can you do something with them? Right? He can do something with you, but it's going to look like him and it's not going to look like you. And God is, will be faithful to finish that work that he begins in you. We'll end with this, Micah 7. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, who looks 
overlooks the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depth of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago. So that's where we're going to end. Who is a God like you? Who will overlook sin? You'll overlook sin because you will solve it yourself and then offer that to us. And guys, we should just worship Him because He does that and worship Him because of His faithfulness and not try to create our own faithfulness and include Him in that. We just need to be included in that and that's good. And that will be a means of worship. Right? If you're always looking at yourself, you'll never worship God. If you look to God, you will worship Him because He's amazing. Pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're faithful to speak to us about yourself. God, I pray that we'll just be still and, and be silent enough to hear your words and, um, and brave and courageous in our love for you. I thank you so much, God. Continue to bless everyone here um, as we continue to sing and sing about you. Um, so our lives can be lived for things greater than um, a fancy career and a comfortable bed. God, but they can live, be lived for eternal things. And so we say, it is worth it if there is temporary suffering. It's worth it because Jesus is worth it. God, may we just continue to have such a bigger vision of you. Um, to see that, that your eternal glory far outweighs everything else uh, in value. Okay, we can only do this uh, by you and through you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus it will happen. Amen.